for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. What's up, fam? It's your boy here, Princeton Parker. I am so excited to be with you. First of all, you know how it goes. I want to thank God for life and love. And I want to thank you for listening. I am coming to you live from my room. (laughs) We are in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And I don't even want to say it because it's every other word you hear right now. But what the hey, I may as well. Coronavirus! I've always wanted to do that. I almost did it preaching on Sunday, but I was like, Princeton, stay in the spirit. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing, quarantining at home in this social moment uh, (laughs) is not any different for the podcast. And that's what I kind of love is that this, I'm feeling right at home. And I knew this was the perfect moment to get to introduce something that's been brewing in me for a long time. But we're gonna get to that. Before we do, let me pause and just say, hey, y'all, I hope that you're doing well. And I don't just mean that physically. If for some reason you have discovered this episode and it's the year 2025 and people are still listening to podcasts and you're like, what is quarantine? Um, We're in this social moment where we are sort of sheltering in place. That is the uh, government sort of order at this point here in California, where I live, specifically here in Los Angeles, in the middle of this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And we're all sort of adjusting to what does that look like, um, having to practice what's called social distancing. And in the midst of that, when I say I hope you're doing well, I don't just mean physically in terms of like that you're feeling well and that hopefully uh, the virus hasn't affected you physically. But I also mean that spiritually and emotionally and most of all, I mean that mentally. I mean, from the fear that we're getting from the news all the time to social media to having angst and anxiety about being out of work and navigating a new normal and having to make sure that we have resources. There, there's just a lot and it takes a toll. And I want to hold space for that. Things have been canceled. Students are not being able to live out their senior years. Folks are having to move back midway through a project or people are having to postpone. People can't get married. I know quite a few people who have had to postpone their weddings because of this. People can't even have funerals uh, because of the, the social distancing order. You can't have more than 10 people in a place at one time. And this is impacting people in so many different ways. Students that aren't able to get access to food because school is the only way that they eat. People being trapped in environments that are toxic because they're now having to spend 24 hours with someone that is not healthy to live with. There's just so much and it takes a toll on the mind. And um, as I was thinking about like what the podcast is to do in this moment, it made me aware of a journey that I went on last year to have a conversation around faith and anxiety. 
And this time is one of the most anxious times for many of us because of the unknown that is presented. And last year I went on a journey I realized in my life that I have been in the church my whole life, saved uh, pretty much my whole life, and in ministry my whole life. And one of the things that I heard talked about often um, was the power of God. I grew up Pentecostal, so I I know about holiness and about the power of God, the Holy Spirit, um, the blood of Jesus, rejuvenation, salvation, all those things. And as I grew older, sometimes one of the challenges is that with that, there wasn't enough talked about how do we live those things out practically, right? Like we were we were so good at the spiritual that sometimes we struggled with the practical. And the way you see that work is that you you have all this power on Sunday, but then you look at your life and that power doesn't translate into these other areas. And, and it's not a knock. It's not that I believe that I didn't get something growing up in my theology. I'm so grateful for the theology that I received. I felt like there was just more that we needed in the conversation. And perhaps you resonate with that, that you started dealing with certain challenges and we can list the gamut of challenges that we deal with, but I want to focus this on mental health. And you felt guilty. You felt guilty because you said, if I believe in God, if I'm a Christian, um, should I be struggling with anxiety or depression or mental illness? And, and what even is that? And for many of us, we grew up in context that not only was that conversation not there, but it was sort of demonized. If you said you had that, it was, you ain't got that. Don't say that, you know, name it and claim it. And we were given these sort of blanket statements, like just pray about it. And we realized in our context, like I, I, I value prayer. And I also feel like there are other tools that I need that I'm not getting. And for many of us, we suffered in silence. (laughs) We suffered in silence. And so that's why we turned to coping mechanisms. It's why we developed addictions or double lifestyles, or it's why we developed these comforts because we just wanted to talk about there's something going on in my mind that I don't know how to navigate. And not only do I struggle with it, but I feel bad that I do. And so I went on that journey for myself because in the spaces where I learned God, oftentimes they weren't talking about mental health. But then when I finally went into these spaces and it was really in college where I started to go on this journey and learn about mental health, I was unpacking mental health at the same time that I was unpacking issues related to injustice and systemic and systematic oppression. I was I was learning about these things at the same time. But then when I learned in those spaces, there was no faith in some of them. And I was like, ew, gross. Like, I really, really, really need both. Like, I I know the power of what I grew up with, and I need these tangible tools, and I need to unpack this conversation around anxiety and mental health in a healthy way. But yet at the same time, I know, I know my God, and, and I wanted to find spaces where people were doing both. And I said to myself, surely, surely there is a place to live where you can be a Christian and be concerned about having a healthy and holistic conversation around mental health. So such is life. Whenever you find a spot where you're like, why isn't anybody there? It might be because God is calling you into that space. And I knew that that was what it was for me. So I want to invite you in. In this present moment where so much anxiety is high and rampant right now, I want to invite you into this moment. Instead of just piling on the anxiety, let's process and let's unpack it. So For an entire year at my church where I serve, Crusade Christian Faith Center, I am so grateful that I have a pastor, Bishop Virgil Patterson, who when I set out to do this, he didn't be like, we don't talk about that. He allowed me space to bring this to the church. And we went on this journey as a church. I'm so proud of my senior leadership, Bishop Patterson and Pastor Jerry, because um, we went on this as a church. We brought in other experts to talk about mental health. We had trauma training for ourselves and for young people. We watched TED Talks. It was a whole 
great journey. But my small contribution was this series called Chill Out. So the last Sunday of every month, I did an hour where we talked about faith and anxiety. It's called Chill Out, How to Navigate Faith and Anxiety. I'm a Christian, but I also struggle in my mind sometimes. And how do I hold both and deal with both? And does God care? And how do I deal with it? Not just pray, but how do I deal with it? How do I understand it? What even is it? I just know I'm struggling. And so I want to invite you into that. We're going to go on these journey, this journey for a good portion of this year because I've learned one of the things last year taught me is that this is what God has called me to. I really, really, really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll be Pentecostal until uh, the day they take me out of here. But I also have realized that a part of my gospel calling is to help people, first of all, see the cross and the power of the blood of Jesus to change lives. And then secondly, that after that salvation, God cares about the quality of life that I have that part of salvation and part of the Christ work in me is to touch every area. And that includes my mental health. So here we go. Here's part one. I want you to listen. I want you to take notes. And then I want to have a discussion about it. So here is part one where we unpack what even is anxiety. Let's just lay the foundation for the rest of this series. I talk about why I went on this journey. What is anxiety? How do we think through it? And what are some common ways that it shows up? Here we go. Here's part one of the series called Chill Out, Navigating Faith and Anxiety. I'm so excited to be here today. I don't know what to do. Take your seats in the presence of God. Grab your Bibles. We're going to John 10 and 10. Got a lot to give you from my heart this morning. John 10 and 10, which if you've been riding with me for a minute, you know that we've been referencing that a lot. We've been referencing that a lot. And I want to read that verse. And then I'm kind of going to unpack um, the direction that we'll be headed in in terms of the time that we're going to spend in the word of God. Was anybody blessed by our series on productive pain? Am I blessed by that? Uh, super excited about that and the work that uh, we're going to continue to do from that. I'm going to take us a, a little bit deeper. Um, we looked at productive pain. What does that mean for pain to be productive? And how do you tell the difference between productive pain and abusive pain? Um, and then in the second part of that series, we unpacked this idea that sometimes you won't know whether or not pain is productive on the onset. It just hurts, right? But just because you're in pain doesn't mean that you can't be productive uh, while you're still trying to figure out what kind of pain it is that you're going through. And so I hope that that blessed you. And we're going to take it deeper. Now, we base that series off of this scripture, John 10 and 10. If you have it, say amen. The thief cometh not, but for to do what? Steal is his first objective. To do what? Kill is the second, and then to destroy, okay? This is Jesus talking that says, it is important for you to know how the enemy works, not so that you can obsess over the enemy, but so that it's very clear what the patterns and the objectives of the enemy are, which are to do what? One more time. The first one is steal, the second, and the last, right? To steal, to pivot something, to take to kill, which is the end of its life, and to destroy, which is then to remove its possibility of ever coming back again, okay? What Jesus then goes to do in the second half of the verses says, this is now my purpose against that purpose. I am come that they might have what? Life. And that they might have it what? More abundantly, okay? And so that is the basis for the series on productive pain and this series that we're about to launch into today. The name of this series that we're going to launch into uh, is called Chill Out. Uh, look, look at your neighbor and tell him, chill out. Chill out. Now, look back at that neighbor and say, I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Don't worry. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. 
not 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 chilling okay don't 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 let this stadium fool you we still we still right over here on 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 La Brea okay we we still as hood as they come over here at Inglewood okay don't be fooled church or not the marathon continues that's for three of y'all that, that know what I'm talking about hi uh, say one more time say I'm chilling if you were plugged into the cultural moment that we live in what you would find is that one of the things affecting people the most right now is anxiety. Everywhere you turn, somebody is wrestling with anxiety. On the job, anxiety. Anxiety in parenting, anxiety in dating, anxiety in just trying to figure out how to navigate the day-to-day. Perhaps you might be listening and say, well, you know, I don't struggle with, with anxiety. I'm, I'm completely fine. Well, in a few minutes, I'll help you realize that that's a lie, first of all. Uh, but second of all, even if this is not for you, if you're going to live in this culture and in this society and in this cultural moment and do life with people, then you need to be familiar with anxiety. What it is, what it does, what it affects and what our solution to it is. If you deal with children, statistics say whether you are, I mean, there were so many articles about this that uh, there wasn't just one that I wanted to pull, but the common perspective in the psychological space is that millennials, and I I roll because being one, I think there's a lot of looping together that gets done about our particular age group. But there's a lot of research that suggests that millennials might be the most anxious generation. But this message is important, not just because if you're doing life and if you struggle with this, not just because of millennials, but because of the kids that are coming behind us. Generation Z, as they'll be called. If you're a manager, if you're controlling hiring at your job, if you work with care, if you work with anything that affects young people, it would help to be able to understand anxiety. We deal with anxiety as believers. And what is hard about dealing with anxiety as a believer is that you deal with the struggle of feeling like you shouldn't deal with it because you believe in God. So what happens is we don't have the conversation because there's this idea that if you believe in God and if you are anointed and if you are full of faith and the confessions that you confess, and more importantly, this is a more difficult struggle when you are Pentecostal, meaning that the thrust of your theology has to do with the workings of the Holy Spirit, right? Believing in the gifts and the powers and the miracle of the Holy Spirit. Especially when you believe in that, that makes it then much harder to be honest about the conversation around anxiety because the thought process is if you speak in tongues and lay hands on people and they get healed, then why do you struggle this way in your mind? This became so important to me because I've struggled with this in my life. The fight between being someone who is responsible for ministering to people and helping strengthen their faith and at times not being able to quiet my own mind. So the question then becomes, am I as full of faith as I think I am? You start asking questions like, is there a solution for this? Because of the stigma that we hold around it, it, there's a Christian stigma, there's an African-American stigma, there could be an age stigma, et cetera, et cetera. Because of all those things, you start to wonder, is this just how life is? Or you start to wonder, 
is it possible to even be open about it because of the stigmas that surround it? Or we start to ask deeper questions like, does God care about this? Let me take you deeper. We start to wonder, is my anxiety sinful? Anybody ever felt like that? And these questions came to a head for me in the last four weeks of my life because I have never been so sure of God and so unsure of life at the same time in my life. It was a waiting period. Um, and I typically don't share this much of, about work, but for the purpose of contextualizing this moment, was up for a new job at work and was wondering about whether or not that would come to pass. And then at the same time, dealing with some relational challenges romantically and really having some uncertainties, you know, you start going through relational challenges, it, it goes from not just will this work, but will I ever find somebody? Health challenges, family challenges, and I found myself living in a consistent state of anxiety. I'll unpack what that means in a minute. And as I went on the journey, I realized that part of why I struggled was because no one had ever talked about the word anxiety and unpacked it and related it to how do I hold that and my faith at the same time. So whenever we feel like two things are in competition, we learn how to live in them separately. Whenever no one's taught me how to deal with something, I learn how to live two different lives. And that's why there are people, because we don't talk about it, who come to church to get high and then go home and live under anxiety's control. Because I've learned how to come here and shout and, you know, y'all going to uh, sing all these songs and, they, you know, they're going to preach me something and I'm going to walk away and say, we had church. Well, what does that even mean? We had church. He sure did preach today. What did he say? I don't know, but he preached and we shouted. And then we go home and by Monday, we're back into this anxious pattern of living. Why? Because there was not anything in our religious experience that tied back to what we experience on a daily basis to show that God is present in these affairs of my life. So I started studying and I started learning and God started showing me things about this and what he was really doing was connecting what I had been learning in my study of mental health, what I'd been learning in my study of, of God and in my faith and in my theology and showing me how they were all connected to help me live John 10 and 10, which is this. I believe that most of us are familiar with the life that we get when we get saved, which is I now have new life in Christ, right? That's the tagline, right? He made me new. I have new life in Christ in that God and I have been reconciled back together. Fantastic. But Jesus repeats himself and says, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the beginning. But I came that you might have life and life abundantly, which is not about houses and cars. I think we got that. You know, I, I think, I think, you know, especially middle class black folk. We, you know, I, I, I think we can check that off. Okay. Life abundantly for your mental and emotional health. And I've understood that most of my preaching for the rest of my life will be dedicated to talking to us as believers, particularly Pentecostals and particularly black Pentecostals for everyone. But this is my context I speak from. Are you living abundantly mentally and emotionally? Because this is the promise of, of Jesus. So this whole sermon series is called Chill Out. How do I live life abundantly? 
in terms of navigating my anxiety and my faith. That's the whole point of this series. And I'll probably be teaching this for the rest of the year because I've got so much to give you. Every time we come together in this space, I'm going to be unpacking how do I deal with my anxiety and my faith? A couple of disclaimers before we go on this journey. I am not a mental health professional. I am a preacher who studies mental health so that I might understand how to practice and embody my faith more wholly and fully. I'll repeat that. It's important that you understand how and what context all the information I'm going to give you is going to come from because I want to differentiate my role from the roles of others in your life, okay? I'm going to talk about some issues related to mental health. At the end of the day, I'm not your doctor. I'm your youth and young adult pastor. Praise God. I am not a mental health professional. I am a preacher who studies mental health for the purpose of understanding how can I practice my faith? How can I embody my faith? That means to live it out. The term embody means how can I live out my faith more wholly and fully? I don't just want my faith to be demonstrated by how well I preach. I don't just want my faith to be demonstrated by me singing or speaking in tongues. I want for people to see the way that I do life and say he's so whole, he must serve God. And as believers, that ought to be our quest, that when people look at our marriages, when they look at the way that we do family, when they look at the way that we handle pressure, when they look at the way that we treat our physical health, there ought to be something that makes them look at how we do life and say something else about you. Second disclaimer, the goal of this series, watch this, is not to glorify anxiety. We're going to say that word a lot, but it is not to put anxiety on this pedestal. It is not to make anxiety look like this monster that we are to be afraid of because we have nothing to fear in Jesus. The goal of this series is not to glorify anxiety, but rather to unpack it. I want us to be on the same page about this. The goal of this series is not to glorify anxiety, but we want to unpack it. The goal is not to glorify, but to do what? Good. We're all on the same page. The goal of this series is not to glorify anxiety, but to unpack it and then to learn strategies on how to deal with it so that our freedom and our peace can give glory to God. Are you with me so far? Everyone around us is struggling with anxiety, particularly in our community, but what is so difficult in our community is that typically we do not talk about it. The reasons why we don't talk about it are, are for a number of reasons. Number one, sometimes there is a great deal of difficulty that comes with unpacking on top of the survival we just have to do day to day. Sometimes we don't have time to talk about anxiety. We're just trying to get food on the table. We try not to get shot. Like we, we are literally involved in our day-to-day -day so much that sometimes we don't have the bandwidth and the strength to pause life long enough to deal with these broader issues. We have to be honest and say that another reason why we don't talk about it is because of the role that our faith plays in conditioning us to believe that faith means you don't feel. This is a lie that we have believed that has been given to us by religion. Purpose for that lie is because of control. If I can get you to not feel what you feel, I can control you by causing you to only exist or make decisions from the realm of what I've told you. It's a tactical control. Now, the reason why we as preachers who have been kind of the predominant progenitors of that belief do this is because many of us have been unequipped on how to help people with how they feel. So we will try to convince you out of it. So you'll feel, you will find that for most people who are religious, the first thing that they do when they interact with a feeling that they don't know how to help you navigate is they tell you that you're not feeling that. So when they don't know healthy grief strategies and you come grieving, the first thing they say is stop, stop crying. God has wiped away every tear. It's not because that's 
the full truth of the scripture as it should be applied in that moment, it's because they don't know how to deal with your grief. It's because we don't know. Same thing, we as preachers, the first time they sit with somebody who identifies with a different sexual preference because they don't know how to have the conversation. They, you, you, that ain't you. Okay, all right, cool. Well, you know, sorry, I guess we don't need to be talking about this then. It's a fear tactic. I don't know how to engage with you in the conversation, and so I'm going to convince that you convince you that you don't feel that way. Such is the case with mental health. In our community, typically because we don't have the tools, the access, because we haven't been provided those resources, we, from a faith perspective, are oftentimes unequipped. And so, therefore, we tell you, you fine. You all right. Or the lies that are typically told to us at a despairing rate that we typically believe, both for our African-American men and women, that because they have survived so much oppression, that they possess some sort of super strength, that they are super men and women, that we are super men and women, not to be allowed space to be human or vulnerable. Pressure is put on our black men. It is put on our black women. You got this. You're fine. We expect our black men to navigate political systems, to navigate their own ascension in terms of finding out how they will sustain their own lives, um, in addition to attempting to be in the presence of family and of whatever else they might lead. We believe that typically because of images that were presented to us long ago, images that were framed in caricatures that were framed of black men, that there is this brute black male figure caricature, his super strength, his animal-like strength, causes him to be written in this category of being indestructible. And those images became so pervasive that not only did they define how people treated us through oppression, in many senses they defined how we treated each other in a community. And the same for our black women, that we expect for them to this concept, right? The, the I'm every woman. It's a great song. Love it. But it's destructive when we don't allow space for humanity in that narrative, right? She's every moment. She is CEO and she is mom and she is a perfect wife who, especially in the way that we have uh, archived certain gender roles, she, she serves her husband fully and she serves her kids fully and she does all these things at work and she's got 19 degrees because black women are one of the most educated groups of people in our country. She fine. So when she starts to express concerns about experiencing anxiety, first response is, you ain't feeling that. Let's define anxiety. If you type anxiety into Google for a definition's sake, it would kick this out to you. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, particularly about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, particularly about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It is important to note, and I'll get to this in a minute, it is important to note that that definition unpacks anxiety, the noun, as it relates to the emotion, but will also unpack how we need to be learned and recognize anxiety as a disorder. It's important to know both and which one's working at which moment, okay? And I'll unpack that in a second. According to uh, Kaplan and Sadoc's Synopsis of Psychiatry, the 2013 publication, I want you to note this down. They unpack the difference between fear and anxiety. When I found this, I thought this was super helpful. Fear represents an emotional response to a real threat. This was so interesting when I found this out. Fear represents an emotional response to a real or imagined threat. Anxiety, and I thought this was interesting, represents an emotional response to some perceived future threat. Fear 
is attached to some sort of real threat. I have a real reason to believe that this could harm me. Anxiety might take different pieces of something that might not even be real and say, hey, you should be afraid of that. That is a threat to you, even though there's no guarantee that you might come into contact with that. And that's what many of us are experiencing. The anxiety around, I may never find the one. I may never get this job. I might never recover from this illness. I might for sure uh, lose this person or this job or this child. Or I might. And so we continue to live in this uh, pervasive sort of worry, this pervasive rehearsing about our minds being conditioned. Now what happens is it begins with internal conversation and then it manifests in every area of our lives. So now I'm deciding from that fear. I'm eating from that fear. I'm choosing friends from that fear. I'm making choices about where I'll live from that fear. And this is what God wants to rescue us from. Because Jesus says, look, I came that your life might not be stolen or controlled by perceived fear. But I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. That means I came that you might have the ability to navigate life peacefully without being controlled by the fear of what might happen. Now, what is important is that sometimes, sometimes there are real things that make you believe that that fear could be a thing. Even though the threat is perceived, you might have real reason to believe that that could happen. I'll give you an example. You'd be like, look, I tell you, I'll mess with these dogs because they be done run up to you and smelling on you first and then bite your whole toe off. And they live their whole life like, don't you bring them dogs around me? Don't you? I just, I, there might be a dog. I, it's like, why are you walking so slow? It might be a dog. I don't know. It's anxiety. It's like perceived, it's perceived threat. But it could be based on real experiences. Well, why is he like that? You know, my cousin, <laughs> when I was small, I remember, and I got away, but I remember seeing my cousin, and my cousin still ain't got his pinky toe to this day. Cousin Miss Johnson's dog. Right. There was some real element of trauma. There was some real element of statistics. There, there were some real things. And so the important thing to, to understand about that is anxiety has to do with what do I perceive could happen? And how has that caused me to worry? How has that caused me to be afraid? Or how has that caused me to be paralyzed? I have this perceived threat. This could and or might happen. And that causes me to fear. It caused me to worry or it caused me to be paralyzed. So in my own life for these past four weeks, I mentioned to you about that job. There was this one for that time week period. Literally, literally, I kid you not. The first thing I did in the morning was check my email to see if they had sent something yet. Because I had so much anxiety of they could deny me. And if they do, this would be the third time I'd be denied for this particular thing I'm trying to work in towards. And so every day I lived in the perceived fear of this either might be it or they might reject me again. So now every decision, every morning, instead of being grateful, that is another morning, right? Instead of being grateful, I'm back in the position of let me, let me be compulsive. And, and that is the power of anxiety is that when you become controlled by it, it can produce or induce compulsive behavior. Whether it is me compulsively, hyperactively checking my email, <laughs> or even being paralyzed, that I compulsively do nothing. Nothing I have to give you. There's a difference between state and trait anxiety. State and trait anxiety. Let me teach this to you as well. State and trait. 
This is a phenomenal. Oh, you know what? Even before I teach you that, let me give you an example. Was anybody here, there was a sermon, it might be a year ago now, where I preached this is where I am, not who I am? Yes. Okay, that message came from a psychological concept that I'm going to teach you called state versus trait. This is where I am, not who I am. This is something I'm experiencing versus a part of me that is longer term, right? State has to do with how long that anxiety lasts. State anxiety has to do with unpacking how long that particular thing lasts. One of the ways that you can tell how anxiety is at work is that typically it's understandable for all of us to feel certain degrees of anxiety while something's happening. But typically once it's over, the anxiety should leave. We know that there might be something deeper occurring when after the event is over, we're still feeling the anxiety. For example, everybody experiences some degree of anxiety when you're going into an interview. This person controls this next opportunity I'm up for. I want to make sure all my stories come out right. You know, that this is it's a healthy, it's a healthy experience. Every human being is going to experience it. But you know something deeper is going on. When the moment's over, you'd have done the interview. And they're like, hey, that, that was actually really great. We enjoyed meeting you. We'll follow up in a week. And after that, you still have that same level of anxiety about a meeting that's now over. That's now a moment in the past that is now wrapped, right? And so state anxiety teaches us, let's look at how long this anxiety is, has been here. Is it attached to moments or, or is it just like a consistent mood? You're just like mood, period, hashtag anxiety, like just riding through it, right? We should also look at, at trait anxiety. Forgive me for not putting in my notes the source that this is from because I, I would love to give it to you. I'll put it in for the next part of our series so that you can go in and read this in its entirety. But trait anxiety, emotions that we all have, but they affect us differently in different situations, Trade anxiety. How does this play out in this particular situation? Not necessarily about how long does it last, but how does this anxiety affect me different in this situation? How does it affect my behaviors? And so we look at two parts. One, how long is this anxiety lasting? And two, what kind of traits, what kinds of things is the anxiety birthing in me? What is it bringing out of me? How is it affecting me in this situation? There are six types. I've got one more thing to show you. I might run out of time. All this is foundation. I got so much Bible and I'm a preach and holler and all this, but we got to lay foundation first. Um, six types. Some people, I've seen it a number of different ways. I've seen it, this list in six. I've seen it in four, but I, I would much rather give you a broader list. Six types. One is just a generalized anxiety disorder. A lot of words. One, the first type, generalized anxiety disorder. Just means you anxious all the time, fam. <laughs> it's sort of general. It's not attached to one thing. It is more so I just carry this state of nervousness and like fear of anticipated events to come. And it has a way that it affects me just continuously, continuously. And what is important is that we've moved out of unpacking the feeling of anxiety into these list of anxiety disorders. Now, before you go diagnosing yourself... <laughs> I'm giving you the list, not so that you can automatically write yourself, I am one of these. I want you to be informed about what they are. And someone who is trained in this area can help ascertain, because sometimes the problem is when we use the term anxiety, we don't know what category we're using it in. We don't know whether to say, I am feeling anxious or I am experiencing the effects of an actual anxiety disorder. And the person who's qualified to make that distinction is someone who has studied that. 
And if they went to USC to study that, they are in fact anointed and you should trust them. <laughs> it's confirmed in the word somewhere. I will find a scripture to justify my made up theology by next month. So first type of the disorder, right? We're moving out of talking about the emotion to now talk about some of the disorders, right? The first is generalized anxiety disorder, which if you just take the word general, right? <laughs> just general anxiety. Two, social anxiety. Social anxiety has to do with, you can think of it in two ways, right? I get anxiety when I am around large groups of people. People bring on an onset of anxiety that I'm, I'm, I have a, a perceived fear that this space is closing in on me, that I don't have enough space to exist freely. Well, the other half of, of social anxiety is also being anxious about the perceptions of these people, right? So sometimes it could be I'm experiencing this in these groups of people because of sheer number, because of, you know, physicality. But it could also be the reverse, which is I don't have a problem being in large groups of people. I'm just obsessing over the fear that they may not like me, the fear of what do all these people around me think and or feel, right? Social anxiety. Three, phobias. That's when it gets more specific, right? Like I have a direct anxiety tied to something. Oh, my grandfather, my grandfather, who I love dearly. Um, I don't know what the phobia name for if you a phobia of snakes would be, but uh, my grandfather is just like has a, a snake phobia in so much that if he sees them on the TV, <laughs> like I just want you to picture this like wonderful. How old is Bo now? 87. This wonderful 87-year-old gentleman in his large chair that reclines all the way back. <laughs> and he is like laid back, sitting up, watching TV. And we'd be watching a movie. Snake, he'd be, snake! And like, that's, like, that's, <laughs> I'm not even making this up. And I hope he never watches this or else he'll be so upset. <laughs> snake! Like, it's like, wow, your voice goes that high at, at 87. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. So, phobias, anyway. Number four sort of uh, panic disorder. I'm going to move through these kind of quickly because I have one more thing to give you before our time is up. Four is panic disorder. Uh, five, obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. Sometimes I think we overuse that though, if we're being honest. I think we kind of have gotten into a culture of joking about that in so much as we don't know what it really is, especially with people I, I work with. I'm not super comfortable with people who use it. Like there are people who actually have the disorder and then I get kind of frustrated when People um, use OCD to describe, I have an attention to detail. It's like, uh, can you please make sure that those are stacked? I'm OCD. It's like, no, you're not. You, you're just annoying is what you really are. You're annoying. You're getting on my creative nerves. Uh, I don't like when people do that anyway. Sorry. That was me processing. That wasn't even in my notes. And then number six, this one's huge, and it affects the African-American community disproportionately, post-traumatic stress disorder. It is not an anxiety disorder at large, but anxiety is a huge part of it. Now, anxiety is important to talk about in this discussion because what separates me talking about this from a mental health professional talking about this is because we always see things through the lens of the spirit, right? What's going on in the spirit realm? You can go to Google and or to some mental health professional who preferably went to USC uh, to tell you about everything that I just mentioned. What you might not be able to find in those spaces is because remember, it's not just about anxiety. It is how do I hold that with my faith, with what I believe? So what's happening? This is why John 10 and 10 is important because anxiety Anxiety is more than a cultural moment. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about all that stuff and how it affects anxiety. But what's really happening is this is one of Satan's tactics as we approach the end times. Why? Because 
Anxiety is a way that Satan can get us to die without actually killing us. This is what the Lord showed me in the spirit. When I saw, I was like, whoa, this makes so much sense, right? What you don't want are people living life abundantly who have been made alive in Christ. Here's why. Oh, I don't have time for this. Because wholeness always multiplies more wholeness. So the devil says, look, if I can't control you getting saved, I don't mind you getting saved. Just don't get others saved by the abundant life that you now live through your salvation. So as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, we need to silence the mouths of the prophets. We need to silence the mouths of those who have the testimony. We need to silence those who have been changed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so how do you do that? How do you do that when it's become easier for us to spread the message? How do you do that when we have more access to people from uh, around the world than we ever had before? How do you do that when by all states of what's going on in culture, this should be the easiest time to get the word out? How do you do it? You make sure that those who have the message are in so much pain that they can't speak. So you got a bunch of saved people who are not speaking of the gospel and who are under the weight of so much trauma that they're not living the gospel. Lord Jesus, I feel it. And so the enemy says, I know how to get them. I can't stop you from being saved, but I can stop you from living under your salvation. I can get you to live dead and anxiety has the power to make us live like the walking dead. That under the weight of anxiety of our compulsive decisions and our choices and watch this under the weight of our silence. And that's why it takes someone who stands under the authority of God and lifts the veil off of it to say that there is no temptation taking you except as such as is common to man. But the Lord with every temptation has already provided a way of escape. But we must start by calling it what it is and announcing that you will not have control over me living life abundantly. So how do I know? if this anxiety is kind of working in me. Because I shout, right? I speak in tongues. How do I know if this is working in me? Sometimes it could be small habits. Small habits. Let me tell y'all, I love black people so much. I'm going to show y'all some of the things that we do that might oftentimes, more times than not, be tied to anxiety. Have you ever been hanging out with somebody in your space and they be doing this all day? What is that leg rub? Like... Like, what kind of lotion are you using that you got to massage it in all day before it stick on top of your... Like, I, I have... I don't know, some of my family members would be like, what is... Like, is that, is that a weight loss tactic? You, you're going to rub the fat down. We just, I'm going to rub myself into a size six if the Lord let me live. Could be an anxious behavior. This is a huge one. Yo, this is a big one. This whole knee shake thing. Oh, my word. And it'd be like, um, are you keeping tempo? <laughs> like, you hear music in the air? Like, what is everything? You all right? Let me tell you another one. Let me tell you another one. Some of y'all gum chewers, that gum ain't that good. It just ain't. It just ain't. Oh, my backpack's way over there. I was like, get a piece of gum and show you. Y'all be chewing that gum like that gum is that. 
Listen, that gum is not for pleasure. You have just imposed all your trauma on that little piece of gum. You are grieving in that gum. You are processing anger. You are cussing in that gum. <laughs> you are trying to figure out your bills. Like We just be chewing so hard. But I appreciate how strong your teeth are that they could handle that. Like That says something about your dental practices. That's fantastic. Little behaviors, right? Lack of sleep. People reach out to me all the time, like I'm having trouble falling asleep. And so then what happens is instead of processing like, hey, whoa, I am feeling anxious and I need to understand what is at the root of that and let me get that out of the way and put what God wants there. Instead of doing that, we now turn to these compulsive behaviors to get us to sleep. For some of us, it's been alcohol. I will drink until I fall asleep. For some of us, it's been medication. And what's hard is that the stuff that we're becoming accustomed to to help us get to sleep, the side effects of that are creating other health issues. And so what happens is over time, watch, watch the web of the enemy. Over time, you have some type of trauma or concerns or whatever has caused the anxiety. Now you become dependent on a substance to help you go to sleep. And now you got to deal with the health challenges that come on top of what you were taking. See how, the, see how the enemy wants to not just keep you bound in one thing, but to compound it. So now you're dealing with three levels of trauma when we could have started with just, with just acknowledging what in me was anxious and what was that about and how do I turn that over to you and how we deal with it. Sometimes it's not being able to get to sleep or lack of rest from sleep. So this is what I was experiencing where I would get my seven, eight hours and still wake up feeling exhausted, like wake up in a sweat. Like, and have you ever felt like, this is one of the things that was happening to me. Have you ever woke up feeling confused? Like, where have I been? It doesn't feel like I've been to sleep. I feel like I've been in war. It feels like I've been in warfare. And there's actually some spiritual stuff behind that. We just don't have the time to unpack it here. Lack of sleep or lack of rest from sleep. Here we go. Sometimes I don't like the things on the list. I like the stuff to tell about everybody else except Princeton. And then I see the one on my list. It's like, oh, this is yours. This is you. This is Princeton. Busyness. There are some of us that our hyper productivity is not about purpose. It is a compulsive behavior attached to anxiety. In the wake of these last four weeks, you know what I've turned to the most? Let me do something else to feel loved. Let me do something else to feel like if they don't give me this job, at least, you know, at least my Instagram pop in, you know, hyper productivity. My mom is always like, boy, sit, sit still. Can you sit still? Mom, no. Stop yelling at me. I'm anxious. Just kidding. I've never said that or else I wouldn't be preaching here before you today. Obviously awkward things I say in my mind. One of the other signs of anxiety is when little things can invoke strong reactions. It might reveal some anxiety. You ever dealt with somebody and you did something like so chill that you literally just had no hard meaning behind and they just gave you the weirdest reaction? Like, you ever, like, they was back here and you was like, oh, sister, who touched? Uh uh, uh uh, girl, you almost got cussed out, knocked out, slain. I. You better not, uh-uh, I don't play with people touching me from behind. Now listen, I love you, but not like that. You almost, it was almost the end for you. It's like, I touched you with two fingers. We in church, they said, touch your neighbor. The person next to me was kind of occupied, so I just kind of reached in front. I, I'm sorry, probably some, some anxiety there. Now again, it could come from a real thing, right? 
the backstory to that could be that there was probably some sexual abuse. There was probably some physical space that was violated by a trusted person that now there is some protection around this space. The people who I was supposed to be trusted to for care violated my personal space and my physical body. So now I don't allow anybody in that, right? There could be a real story behind it, but the anxiety nevertheless is the same, that that is the reaction, that there's a strong reaction that I have out of the anxiety that there's a fear of a perceived event, right? Like what could that touch have been? It could have been a million things, so I'm about to pop off, even though it's just your friendly church neighbor who wants to tell you what the preacher said. Sometimes you can also, I carry a lot of, when, when anxiety is at work, I carry a lot in my physical body. If you all really have room on your prayer list, we can collectively pray for my receding hairline. If you just want to pray to, to God with me, if you just have time, I know you're busy, but that's probably at the top of my list of things I'm praying for right now. You know, I look at pictures of college Princeton and Prin- if I ever post a picture on social media and you're wondering if it's a new picture or not, just check the hairline. It'll tell you everything. If it, if it ain't started to part like the Red Sea, then that is from way back yonder, fam. I just still look good. The Lord is preserving my light skinness. Okay. Uh, but, but, <laughs> But physically, I carry a lot of, a lot of uh, tension here. Um, sometimes the way people, all, all their anxiety is in their face. <laughs> Be like, why are you mad? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> it's just, it's all, it's a manifestation, it's physically manifesting anxiety. Here's why this is important. I believe that there are actual illnesses and disease that folks are struggling with that has nothing to do with illness or disease and all to do with unprocessed anxiety, unprocessed trauma, stress, and stuff that never got. I really believe that. I really believe that sometimes we need to go in and pray for folks, and other times we need to go in and ask, how are you doing, and watch their physical self just jump right up. And I didn't learn this until I started hanging around. I've hung around seasoned saints my entire life, and they would say this to me, and I never understood it until recently. They would say this. I would do something, or we'd hang out, and they'd say, little brother Parker, or minister Princeton, or whatever, you've added years to my life. I never understood what that meant. But what they were saying was there is a linkage between the heart and the health. I'm talking about the emotional heart. There's a linkage between the emotional heart and the health. And they were saying that because you have strengthened my emotional health, my physical health is going to stand a little stronger. So sometimes anxiety manifests physically. I got so much more to give you. We're going to do this the last Sunday of every month. I've got so much to give you on this topic. I've got so much to give you. Because I want you to live free. And I want me to live free. And I want us to live free. Not just so that we can be out here free. That's good. But so that the world can look at a group of free people who have been freed by the grace of God and the power of God and an attention to what grace looks like in practice, that they might say, look, I've read all the books. I've done all of the other stuff that, that they've told me to do, and, and yet there's something different about how you live. And we will be able to say our whole purpose, which is that in Jesus Christ, I didn't just get salvation. Salvation is amazing, but it is a beginning. It is a doorway to the things that God really has promised. I got salvation. I got right standing with the Father. And after that, I got access into a world of wholeness that I could not have achieved by myself. 
And as we do that, people will be so inclined to listen and to pursue what they have seen that they will move from that to say, what must I do to be saved? It is important that you understand that you are not alone. It is important that you understand that conversation is the beginning of deliverance. We cannot be healed from what we won't first expose. We expose it not because it has power. God said, look, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the reason why we started with talking about the enemy is because he doesn't have the last say-so. It's important for you to know that so you can get over your fascination with the devil. I get you. That's what you do. Jesus says, here's where we end. I am come. I existed in flesh. I left eternity and I situated myself in time so that you could have and, whoa, there it is. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Mm. This is your season to ask God for the and. There it is. There it is. That's where I'm going to end. This is your season to ask God for the and. Lord, I want to be saved and I want to be saved and have purpose. I want to be saved and have a good family. I want to be saved and be healed in my emotions. I want to be saved and delivered from drugs and alcohol. I want to be saved and have a changed friend group. I want to be saved and have some money and be a blessing to my community and be a blessing to my church. I, I want to be saved and I want to get a good education. Why? Because these are the things promised to me under the promise of God. That I want life and life more abundantly. That's what Bishop is describing when he's talking to us about how many people. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a rebuke. It is, it is let us never get so comfortable that we settle for just. We, we just have service. No, God, I want good theology and a full church. I want good community and lots of people. I want to have integral practices and a lot of money. <laughs> like, like, since when did we believe the lie that they had to be mutually exclusive? I want to be cute and whole. <laughs> Princeton, stop. Okay, I'm, I'm in that. <laughs> I want to be emotional whole and not attractive. I'm about to, I'm about to be fine. <laughs> but I don't want to be fine and not have myself together. I want, get, Lord, give me the end. Give me the same end. Have you been blessed this morning? Everybody stand. That's my time. I've got so much more to give you. Here's where we're going next time. Next time, I'm going to talk to you about the three lies that we believe about anxiety. Excuse me, the four lies. <laughs> Correct your notes. And then we're going to talk about the five truths. I'm going to give you a framework for how we understand it. I'm going to support everything with scripture. What does God say about it? Because that was my other thing, right? When I started learning all this, I don't read anything without, like, first I read it to say, all right, let me understand what this person is saying, whether or not they believe like I do or not. Let me be able to have a conversation with you on your level. But if I'm going to adapt it in terms of being something that I practice in my life, we got to back this up with scripture, fam. Like, you know, appreciate you sounding good and all your degrees, but I need to know what does God say about it. And so we're going to dig into the word. I'm just going to pray for you before we go and Thank you for being here. Please tell some folks next, the last Sunday of next month, I'll be doing the same thing. We're going to keep this going. I, I will probably be here for the rest of the year because uh, there's so much in my heart that we might live free. I just lift your hands again as a sign of surrender. 
I just, I speak peace over you today. I speak a peace over you that you be reminded that you are not alone for whatever stigmas that you've believed about having this conversation. Whoa, some of you have felt like you couldn't have this conversation because of your level of responsibility. You have not been able to go on your journey of healing because you're like, I got to see about these kids and I got to see about this and all that. And so because of those things, you haven't been able to really go on your journey the way you need to of letting God heal you. I just speak a freedom over you. I speak a freedom over you. I speak a freedom over, whoa, yes, Lord. Thank you, Holy Ghost. There's some of you that, that felt like it's, it's too late. Like I am too late in my life to be processing stuff that has made me anxious. No, 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 no. That's the devil. The devil is a lie. I rebuke the devil right now. You've, you've been in this whole, you know, I, I'm, I'm too old to be still crying over what my mom. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. That stuff happened and we are going to deal with it so that we don't be controlled by it. I release. Whoa. Mm, well, Lord, I release you from the fear of addressing it. Wow. I speak over you that you be released from the fear of facing it. There have been some of you that you've known it for a long time. You just don't want to call it that. And the reason, whoa, and the reason why you're afraid to call it that is because you feel like if you call it that, that means you are it. But that's not it. That's the enemy. Just because you identify what it is doesn't mean that it is you. Oh, my God. Just because you are in that thing to call it what it is doesn't mean that it is you. And we got to call it what it is so that we can then start to confess who we are over that thing. And so I rebuke the spirit of fear. I rebuke the spirit of fear against that confrontation. I just release a spirit. Whoa. I release the seeking spirit. I release the seeking spirit. You're going to start to seek for healing. You're going to start to seek for wholeness. Places that you had given up on, you're going to start to seek it. Even beyond what I'm preaching, even beyond Bishop and Pastor Jerry, even beyond us, there's going to be a seeker in you that's going to go back to the word of God and say, Lord, give me what I need. Lord, Lord, deal with me. Not just about me being saved, but Lord, go into my marriage and work that out. Go into my finances and work that out. Go into my job and work that out. You're not just the God of Calvary. You're the God of 801 South La Brea. What you did on Calvary did not stop there, but it bleeds into every aspect of my life. Oh, hallelujah. And so I speak that over you, that you're going to start to seek, Lord. Don't just do it when I accepted you. Do it in every area of my life. Change me in every area. Make me whole in every area. Make me strong in every area. Make me complete in every area. And I speak it over you that it shall be and when people think about crusade christian faith center when they think about what's going on in los angeles when they think about what's going on in the body of christ in the 21st century what they will see is a group of people who are saved who have been healed who have been delivered who are walking in whole living but they're also going to see a people who are set ablaze they're going to be set ablaze with the gospel set ablaze with the anointing set ablaze with the gifts of the spirit and we will take this world over for Jesus Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. Now give God a great shout of praise all over this house. There it is. Part one is in the books. I hope that that was helpful and I hope that it got you interested in the journey that we're about to go on. I got so much to give you and uh, I really just kind of took my time with this thing and we went on a journey. So until next time, there we go. That's part one. Chill out. How do we navigate faith and anxiety? I want you to know that It is possible that God sees you, that God loves you, and that there are strategies that you can use so that you can not just have life, but that you can have life more abundantly. Love y'all so much. Again, if you haven't already, 
please uh, subscribe and rate to the podcast and then reach out to me some type of way. You can shoot me an email at info at princetonparker.com. Uh, shoot me a message on Instagram. I would love to hear if you heard this and felt like it was a blessing. And then please, please, please share this with somebody who needs to hear it. If you know somebody that has never heard a conversation like this before, maybe somebody who even left the church because they weren't talking about mental health, send them this and say, hey, bro, sis, there are some folks who are doing this work and I want you to feel it and get free. So love y'all so much. Until then, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family. Thank you.